What a good time of the year. Trees are just starting to change. Some a little ahead of others, but really, God is so creative and brings such beauty, and we get to enjoy it every single day. It gets a little bit colder at night. Well, not the last few days, I get it. But it will happen. It will happen. It's great sleeping weather. It's just a good time to be able to focus on all that God is doing and, and what He is going to do. We meet as a community every Sunday to worship, and we pray, and we sing, and we focus on our God, and our hope is that somehow you see God differently and that you leave with a step. It's a little bit different because you met with God's people. You praised His amazing name. You're fed with the Word of God, and something began to change on the inside. We're teaching families to know and obey and enjoy Christ, so we all might be salt and light in our world. See, last week we started in the book of John. This feisty apostle focused on Jesus. Jesus, the man who walked on the water, who speaks to the sea, who stands there in the middle of the fire with you. You know, I was thinking this week about Jesus and thinking what life would be like for me personally without Jesus, my Savior. My friend, always there, always available. I'm not sure I would do well without Jesus, to be quite honest. But we started last week in the book of John, and John started focusing on his loving Savior who became flesh and showed us who God is and what God looks like. Because Jesus is God. And in God's wisdom, he gave us four Gospels. Three of them go over a lot of the same material, looking at it different ways, from different perspectives. John's Gospel was written a lot later. John's gospel was written just literally before he saw his Savior for eternity. So he had some 60 years, 60 years as a pastor and 60 years as an evangelist and 60 years to be able to see the effect that this man, Jesus, had. And near the end, he wanted to write his perspective. He wanted everyone to know that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God, and that if you put your faith in Jesus, you will never, ever, ever, ever regret it, ever. You just won't. And at the end of his life, as frail as he was, after being quite abused during those latter years, there was a glow. You'd walk in the room and his eyes would still dance. 
and the conversation would shift over to Jesus. Jesus. He was overwhelmed with God's love. He says, do you believe Jesus? In the very first verses, do, do you believe Jesus became flesh? I mean, he left everything that he had, and he came down here, and he lived on this planet. He hung out with, well, some very nice people, but some very ordinary people. He did that for one reason. That's it. So that he could show us who God is. And he could be our sacrifice, the means by which we could get reconnected with God. This is a story that changed John's life and everything he saw, everywhere he went, he would talk about Jesus. It's just how it happened. Jesus, his Savior, his friend. Today, though, in the Gospel of John, we focus on a different John. I'm sure every one of you have heard of this John. His name is John the Baptizer. John the Baptizer. Hmm. Well, the word greatest is going to come up in our discussion about this man. Who is the greatest always is a healthy debate. Am I right? You talk about the greatest athlete or the greatest boxer or the greatest architect or teacher or student or the greatest parent or the greatest scholar or writer or musician or actor or inventor or the greatest criminal, the greatest president. And sometimes we even talk about the greatest pastor. And we all somehow want to qualify for that title, right? Maybe at certain times in our life, okay, you know, Mom's Day, it's always you're the greatest mom. Now, you know good and well you're not the greatest mom. But every once in a while, it's nice to hear that you're the greatest mom and that your kids lie, all right? But what's really important is we, we look at this greatest title, And what's so unique is that when Jesus looked across all the mighty men of history who had been born up to that point, he singled out one man as the greatest. That man was John the Baptist. Why did Jesus make this staggering assessment? John was not known for his miracles or his great prophecies. He preached a rather simple message, almost two sentences long for the most part, and embraced a small task of discipling a very small number of men. Actually, he was in jail longer than he ministered publicly and suffered a rather un dignified death. Hmm. Given Christ's assessment of John, I think it's imperative that we look closely at his life and find out why John was considered the greatest. Remember, Jesus models for us what's great in the kingdom, not what is great in the culture. Now, whether John looked like somebody up on the screen or not, 
even back in his day, he stuck out. He was not a fashion statement, all right? He was a rather odd character. But actually, John was quite significant in God's story. So let's just give a little bit of background before we jump into our text for today. John's birth was supernatural. We are told in Luke chapter 1 that Elizabeth and Zechariah were both very old. That's the scriptural way to say there is no way that they're going to have any more kids. But they did. They had John. His life and ministry fulfilled prophecy. We were told hundreds of years before John was born miraculously that he would be a voice, a herald in the wilderness, preparing the way for the coming Messiah. That when John the baptizer came on the scene, you knew and everybody knew that the Messiah was close behind. That he would be able to proclaim the Messiah, the one who's going to redeem you, the one who is going to save you is going to be coming. John's clothing and diet were a bit odd. We find in Matthew chapter 3 that he wore camel's hair garment. Actually, nobody knows what a camel's hair garment is. But camels, I'm sure maybe you haven't even petted one of those rascals. They're quite bristly. They're quite coarse. It is not like a horse. It isn't. It is like a porcupine. That's what it's like. And a leather belt. The dude was a happening dude. All right? Not only that, look look what he ate. And I know you want to know some Greek term like locust is really T-bone steak or something like this. It, It is not. This is, he ate locusts and wild honey. Well, what's for lunch today? Oh, locusts and wild honey. Oh, what's for supper tonight? Locusts and wild honey. Let's go catch some of them babies, you know? Maybe I'll fry them tonight. Maybe I'll smoke them. Maybe I'll, you know, pickle them. But locusts are locusts, folks, and locusts are gross. But that's what he ate. And and the bottom line there is that he ate that because it was the diet of the economically challenged of that day. He wasn't the only one they ate like this. But he was just really simple. His dress was simple, if not odd. His meals. It wasn't extravagant in in any way. But one verse to me tells it all. In Luke chapter 1, verse 80, it's up on the screen for you. But at the very end of the first chapter of Luke, Luke writes this. John grew up and became strong in spirit. And he lived in the wilderness until he began his public ministry to Israel. There's not a whole lot of history there. But what Dr. Luke was trying to tell us is this, is that John grew up in a very normal way. He lived very simply, but he grew strong in the Spirit. Almost every time you see the desert or the wilderness in the Scriptures, it's a time for people to be refined. It is. 
Moses, if you look way back then, he spent 40 years in the wilderness so that he could finally be the type of leader that God wanted him to be. Jesus spent time in the very beginning of his ministry out in the wilderness 40 days in communion with his father. And I think John, however many years that he left home, he spent time with God. And that spirit that was given to him grew. And his passion grew. You see, John the Baptist wasn't great because of his education, because of his clothing, because of his accomplishments, because of his wealth, because of his looks, or because even of his writings. The greatest man didn't write any of the Bible. Oh, if you look at that, He was the greatest because of his humility. Humility. You know, humble people are great kingdom people. Proud people are not. Now, can I stop here? Because as soon as I used the word humility, a bunch of things started going in your minds. Because the truth is, most of us feel we're a little bit more humble than we really are. Okay? We just are. And if we hear the word pride, we have all these other people who fall in that category. And some of you are probably, your arm might even be around that person say, I am so glad that she's here today. Oh man, I hope, Pastor, you give it to her good. She's a little bit arrogant lately, and I hope that you just kind of give it to her with both guns. You know? I want you to take your arm away. I mean, not literally. You can still hug. It's okay. But what I want you to do is this. I want you to really just stop and say, you know what, I bet this message is for me. I know it's for my pastor. But I bet it's for me. Can we just own it? We like the attention at home and at work and even at church. We like to be the prima donnas. We like to think we're the greatest theologians. We're the greatest youth leaders. We're the greatest bulldoze drivers. Bulldozer drivers. Driver of bulldozers. Those things. And sometimes we just let everybody know about our knowledge and our skill and our voice and our gifts and our money. And oh, we just love people to know really how wonderful of a person we are. I think God has a word for us. Actually, I think he has a word for all of us today. I'm going to start off by praying. Father, we just desperately need your help today because if we're honest, we struggle 
all the time with pride. And if you're telling us that the greatest man that was ever born of a woman is great because of his humility, we probably fall short. God, I ask today that you would allow your spirit just free reign. That if there's areas in our hearts that, that need to be changed, I pray, God, that your spirit just with your power and authority do that today. Lord, I don't think that anybody just came today, well, because they had nothing better to do. I, I think they came to hear this message, to praise your name, to allow you to change us from the inside out. Father, I thank you again for all the different churches that are in our area that are teaching your word. We, we pray that happens powerfully, and we ask you, dear God, that the army of God followers would make a difference, be salt and light in our world this week. In your name, amen. I'm going to start off just in case we're a little foggy on what God thinks of humility and what God thinks of pride, okay? First of all, in James chapter 4, verse 1, James writes this, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. This is what God feels. You want God as an enemy, and, and again, I'm just the messenger. Don't get mad at me, Okay? But if you want God as the enemy, if you want to raise your hand and say, you know what, this week, today, I want God to be my enemy. Be proud. Be proud. But if you want grace, we're humble. They say, well, what is pride, Rick? What does that look like? I, I think I sort of know, but in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, the Apostle Paul writes this. In a whole passage that really is going to point at Jesus exactly the same way that John is pointing at Jesus in all of his stuff. But in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, the Apostle Paul writes this. Don't be selfish or don't be self-centered or don't make you the point of your world. Very hard words. Then he goes, don't try to impress others. Be humble. And then if you mark your Bibles, I'm a big person encouraging you to do that or underlining or whatever, I would, I would do this next part because this is the definition of humility. Humility is this. Thinking of others better than yourselves. Thinking of others better of yourselves. You know, there is a, a man named C.S. Lewis, and he's written quite a few different um, books. He's somewhat of a famous author, and one of his quotes, he, he talks about humility. He says this, the humility is thinking is not thinking less of yourselves. It's thinking about yourselves less. And that hit me. No one's trying to say if you're absolutely the best baseball player in all the world, 
say, oh, I'm, I'm just right, you know, I'm just the average Joe. Well, actually, you make $62 million. Um, you, there's nothing average about you. <laughs> just letting you know. But what we're hearing over and over and over again, it's being focused on others. It's listening to their stories. It's encouraging them. It's preparing them so they do well. Nobody likes hearing how much you know and how wonderful you are. Nobody. Not on the planet. In Matthew 18, verses 1 to 4, it's kind of funny because the disciples, when they were down here on the planet, they often had one argument. And the argument was this. Who's the greatest? Who's the greatest disciple? Yeah, baby. You know, is it me? And, and this happened in one of these discussions. And uh, the full context is this. About that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called the little child to him and put that child among them. Then he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like this little child, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. And then what's up on your screen? So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. What Jesus was basically saying this, he said, you know what humility is? Humility is that you own your sin quickly. There's no excuses. You recognize that there's an authority in your life. God the Almighty and says, you know what humble people are? They recognize that Jesus is king and that a sin is offensive to the king. Yes, it hurts other people. I get that, but, but it's offensive to the king. It says, you know what humble people are? Humble people are those that recognize they have faults and recognize their sin and own their sin and confess their sin. Isn't it fun to hang around with people that are humble? And one of my favorite verses of all is Isaiah 66, 2. And this is God's heart. I will bless those who have humble and contrite hearts who tremble at my word. This is what a humble and contrite heart is. Is that they open up God's word, they know God's word, and they tremble. God's Word. Not because they're afraid of God's Word. Oh, yeah. No. But this is so wonderful. This is a, I want to hear it. I want to eat it. I want to learn it. I want to love it. So humble people continually go to God's Word. Period. They open it up. You know, um, we each have uh, kind of different ways with our emails. Well, in my guys' groups, I put all of my emails from them in a folder called 66-2 because these are the people I want to hang with. This is who I want to be. I want to be a man who is humble and contrite that absolutely opens up God's Word and says, this is what I want to do. God, you are God. 
It was John's humility that made him great. It was because of John's humility that he understood his assignment and he embraced his journey. As I said, there are many more popular Christians, prophets, people that wrote God's word, people that seemed to have greater ministries, that had fruit all over, all the Bibles filled with them. But this man, John, the greatest of all, understood his assignment, and embraced his journey. Let's look at those two things. At this moment, I'm going to ask Alicia, if you can come on up here. Uh, I'd like you to read from 1 John chapter 1, starting at verse 6. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, This is the one I was talking about when I said, Someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. Thank you. John's assignment was point people to Jesus. That, that was simple. He understood that God had sent him. That's John. He understood that God gave John his role and gave his assignment. He understood that Jesus was the focus. And Jesus was the light, the true light, the only light, the available light. That as wonderful as John was, John was not the light. And so wherever he went, and when he entered public ministry, he would keep doing this. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I want you to know, repent. Jesus, the Messiah, is here. He's the light. He is the one that will make sense of darkness. He is the one that will guide and direct. He will comfort you. Jesus is here to do that. That is unbelievable good news. And you're going to hear this all the way through the Gospel of John. So if you're already sick of hearing this, it probably shouldn't come anymore. John is overwhelmed with who Jesus is and how wonderful Jesus is and how he just kept pointing people to Jesus, the light. John also understood his influence that people would believe because he believes in Jesus. That he understood who Jesus was. He understands the Messiah. He understands how different he is because of a relationship with this Messiah. Then if you look in John chapter 1, starting in verses 19 to 34, Jesus, uh, John the baptizer even pointed hard to love people to Jesus. We're not going to read that text. You can put that in your notes and read it later. But, but the truth is, John was just a herald. John was just a voice. John was just a witness. John just knew, I'm here on the planet to point people to the light. Because the light will make difference in their life. The light will make a difference in their life. John did not point people to John. We'll say, Rick, I'm 
little nervous about pointing people to Jesus. I, I really think I should know the Bible better. I, I, I need to brush up on my Hebrew and my Greek and my, and, and oh, you know what's so amazing? Say you don't need to know Hebrew or Greek. You, you just don't. You need to know Jesus. That's what you need to know. And we've got so many versions and so many helps and so many opportunities for each one of us to be able to get to know Jesus. And when you walk into a room, you're different because of Jesus. When you do well at the job, you're different because of Jesus. If you have money in the bank, it's because of Jesus. If you have breath today, it's because of Jesus. It's all because of Jesus. And what was so unique about this, not only was he a good pointer, and not only did he proclaim who the Messiah was everywhere he went, but if you look at John chapter 3, and normally we're going to go chapter by chapter, verse by verse, but, but there's this section just in John, all about John the baptizer, so we are jumping around just a little bit. But in John's journey, he basically understood that Jesus is great and that he is less great. I'm pretty sure that's not grammatically correct. But that's okay. I'm from Chicago. All right? We talk differently. But this is the truth. Jesus is great. Jesus is the focus. I am not great. Jesus is great. I am not great. And I believe it's a journey for every one of us. We naturally don't applaud others. Have you noticed that? We, we naturally don't. You would think that would be easy to be able to encourage others and when someone does a good job, you know, maybe your grandkids, but certainly not a coworker or a neighbor. That is a lot harder. But the truth is, some of us don't even naturally applaud God. If you look in this text, chapter, 20, or chapter 3, verses 22 to 36, we find out that John actually had quite the ministry. He had quite the following. There were disciples. There were people coming from all over, especially the cities, into the wilderness, making this trip just so that he could be baptized by John. His whole ministry was exploding. People were repenting. There was fruit. There were disciples. Then one day. Alicia, can you read for us chapter 3, verses 26 through 30? So John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identified as the Messiah, is also baptizing people, and everybody is going to him instead of coming to us. John replied, no one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. You yourselves know how plainly I told you. I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. All of a sudden, some of his disciples as if John the baptizer didn't know this, just so you know, all right? They say, hey, John, John, do you, do you know what's happening? 
you know, all the people that used to come out here and all the people that were part of your gang, they're leaving. They're going over to the dude that you call the Messiah. Whoa. And you know what John's humble request or response was? Oh, you know what? We, we better get some better music here. Whoa. Or, or, or maybe we're just not serving our kids very well. Let, let's get a little snazzier program, you know? Let's keep those kids here. We, we can do that. He didn't say that. You know, it was amazing. He said this. He said, this is God's plan. God is doing this. God is moving people. He basically said this. If this was a wedding, I just want you to know is that Jesus is the bridegroom. I'm just the best man. Weddings are never about best men. No matter what you think or even hear at their speeches, at the reception, you know. Weddings are about the bride and the groom. Well, actually just about the bride. But what we say is we're not focusing on all the riffraff. We're focusing on Jesus. I am filled with joy, this humble man says, because of God's plan, because of Christ's success. I am pointing people to Jesus, and they're going to Jesus. His ministry is growing. My ministry is shrinking. He must become greater and greater. I must become less and less. And this is the journey. He understood the journey, and this is our journey. You know, sometimes when you have a seven or eight or nine-year-old and they tell you how great they are in everything that they do, you sometimes smile and you say, ah, yeah, 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 just wait till next year or whatever you want to say. But you know when you're 41 and 42 and you're talking like that or 61 and 62, like, wow, you have not learned well in life, have you? What happens this journey, and as we spend time with our God, we recognize, and he changes the focus from inside to others. You see, I think his theology helped his journey from proud to humble. Look at uh, verse 31. Uh, I'm going to read it this time, and, and this is what the scriptures tell us. He has come from above and is greater than anyone else. John writes, we are of earth and we speak of earthly things, but he has come from heaven and is greater than anyone else. He testifies what he has seen and heard and how few believe what he has told them. Anyone who accepts his testimony can affirm that God is true, for he is sent by God. He speaks God's word, for God gives him the spirit without limit. The father loves his son and has put everything into his hands. And anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. Anyone who doesn't obey will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. You see, he understood who God was, and when he understood who God was, all of a sudden he recognized his spot. His spot was not to be the limelight. His spot was supposed to be pointing people to God. 
He saw that Jesus came from above. He saw that he is God and greater than anyone else. He saw that when Jesus spoke, he spoke God's words. He knew that Jesus was sent by God. He knew that Jesus was controlled by the Spirit. He knew that Jesus is the only giver of life. Look at verse 36 again. And anyone, anyone who believes in God's Son, this is like John. If John had a tattoo, this would be on his arm. Jesus gives life. Okay? Okay, back, I, yeah, back to 36. And anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. And anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's judgment. You see, his theology saw God so big and saw Jesus so real, it was easy to point people to Jesus. You know what? If you want to be great in the kingdom, and I, I hope you're a great dad and a mom, and I hope you're a great employee. And, and I hope you're, in, and you're going to put that in, but, but if you want to be great in the kingdom, if you want God to look at you and say, oh, you're a first-round draft pick. Yeah, you, you are. Not because of all the skills I've given you and all the talent and abilities, but you walk with me, you trust me, and you are humble. You understand your role. It's everyone's role. And that is pointing people to Jesus. It's not being able to argue people in the kingdom or be smart enough. It's, it's saying, you know what? I met the light. It cleaned up my darkness. It gives me comfort and I know where I'm going and what I'm doing. Jesus is my light. I can't live without him. And it's to understand your journey. It's all of our journey. It's more about him and less about me. That's why you serve. That's why you give. That's why you're so enamored with who God is. Because God is so amazing. God isn't this old guy sitting up there floating in the clouds. God is our good, good Father walking with us, encouraging us, strengthening us, empowering us, frowning on us when we sin because we're missing out. Not because he's some grand judge that just doesn't want anyone to have fun. How ridiculous is that? How poor of an image of God is that? It's just like you looking down at your kids. I want you to experience life. And when you're six years old, it's really important that you'll learn how to ride a two-wheeler. It will give you new horizons. I don't want to do that. I'm telling you, it's amazing. Trust me. Understand our journey. And watch. Watch God become greater. 
listen to him faster. Understand how wise he is. And with humility, continue to point others to our Savior. You know, last week, I've got a couple different resources for you again. First of all, um, we did point, and uh, it's, it's called the Book of Life, and some of you saw it, and it was so small print, but, but the idea of the Book of Life, it's a Gospel of John, it has kind of a young person in mind, but I would love for you to read it and hand it, all, hand it out, give it away. It's not for you to keep in your purse, or your man purse, or whatever you carry it in, okay? Um, I've got another one. And it's a little bit better for some of the older and more mature and no writing in it except really just God's Word. It's the Gospel of John. I'd love for you to take it again. It's out in the lobby, but I don't want you to take it for you. I don't mind if you read it and then give it away, but this is all for you to give away in conversations across the fence, whatever it is, putting on your desk and letting people say, oh, what's the Gospel of John? Oh, let me tell you. It's about Jesus. He's changed my life. He is light. I also, and, and I don't know how many of you are familiar with tracks or even how many of you use tracks and, and so on, but my favorite all-time track of all time, that's pretty all-time, um, is called The Light, all right? And we printed these out absolutely legal for you, okay, just so you know. I have the copyright. Um, we've printed these out, and as you leave today, I'd like each one of you not to take 25, just, you know, throw them out your window as you leave or anything like that. Take one. I'd like you to read it. If you don't like it, give it back. If you do like it, ask someone who you might be able to give this to and have a conversation. All right? It's a cartoon. It's a great, it's a, I love it. Not a lot of words for you that don't like to read. Okay? Right here, we're handing those out. We'll make more available to you. But again, want to encourage you um, to share, to point people to Jesus any way you can. Okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for giving us a real live example of what humility looks like. Lord, I'm, I'm sure John struggled with at times. How come there's not as many coming to be baptized by him? How come Jesus was getting all the attention? But I don't think those struggles were long, God. I think he understood the Messiah and was so overwhelmed by him, and, and that his comment could easily, he's got to be greater and I've got to be less. Lord, would you teach us as a congregation to grow in humility? Would there be a boatload of people that absolutely stand out on a culture that is so self-absorbed that we have an army of people who love you and love each other. They care about others more than they care about themselves. The only way that happens, God, is if you change our hearts, because we can't do it. I'm just flat out the most selfish guy on the planet, and I need your help. So I pray, dear Lord, that, that you would change us.
that you would change Cross Point Church, that we would have a reputation of men and women who love God and love others deeply and passionately. And we care about them. And God, I bet you're going to do something special with a group of people who are humble, dependent on you. In Jesus' name, amen.